This is Passing for Normal, conversations with artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and here I speak with fascinating, innovative change makers. We talk about how to make change, meet change, and how to find the courage to create change in your life and with those around you. Bringing new ideas into the mainstream, that's Passing for Normal. Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal, where my guest today is author and advocate for young women, Nama Bloom. And we're going to be talking about changing the conversation about women, our bodies, and our health. Nama Bloom is the founder of HelloFlow.com, a modern-day women's health company whose goal is to empower women and girls by celebrating all the stages of their lives, from puberty to menopause. Hello Flow began as a monthly menstruation supply delivery company, and Hello Flow's first two promotional videos have received over 40 million views. Nama's book, Hello Flow, The Guide, period, is a contemporary book for girls and their parents, speaking frankly and confidently about young women's bodies. Nama is a frequent speaker and commentator about digital marketing, women in business, and how to have the talk with your 10-year-old. In 2014, Nama was named by Ad Age as one of the 50 most creative people in the world and as one of New York Business Journal's Women of Influence in 2016. Hello, Nama, or should I say hello, hello. Flo? <laughs> hello, thanks so much for having me. Glad yes, to I'm, be here. I'm so glad to be talking to you. So as you know, this show is all about change, how we create it, how we adapt to it. And so overall... Uh, I want to talk about how we're changing the conversation around women and our bodies. And you are out there bringing awareness and literally changing the conversation, changing attitudes and perceptions. So first, um, I'd like it if you could describe your work, describe your website, your book, and your whole HelloFlow uh, movement. Sure. So um, it did start as a really simple business idea, which was really just send pads and tampons through the mail um, to women and girls when they needed them. But um, as I started doing research, and by research I mean talking to every woman in my life and <laughs> every young, every girl in my life about their experience with their periods, a bunch of themes came up that I felt like needed to be addressed. And the biggest one was um, this discussion around bodily transitions. And, you know, not everyone obviously um, has children, but I feel like in a woman's body, there are three major transitional moments. One is when you when your body changes and you go through puberty, right? When you go from a girl's body to a women's body. Mm -hmm. Another is when you become a, if you choose to carry a baby or have children, when you become a mother, there's a major hormonal shift and a physical shift in your body. And then the last one, of course, is around menopause. And I just, the more I spoke to people, the more I became fascinated by these transitions and the, the, the fact that we all experience, experience them so personally, but also universally, but we don't talk about transitions. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost like we pretend culturally that like you snap your fingers and it's changed, but that's, you know, we all know from living in our bodies that that's not really how it works. Um, so when I started the business, I realized like puberty was a space that was really interesting to me and one where there really wasn't a whole lot of discussion. And so um, 
to promote my company, I made these videos. The first one was called Camp Gyno and the second one was called First Moon Party. And the videos were about girls getting their first periods. And, um, you know, unexpectedly they went viral and that virality, in addition to like selling subscriptions for me, it had a much more powerful impact, which is that suddenly women and girls around the world were talking about this and they were emailing me and asking me for more information Mm -hmm. and more content. Mm -hmm. And it was really, you know, it was eye-opening. I uh, was raised in a pretty open household. And um, while I don't remember anyone sitting me down and having a puberty conversation, no one ever hid anything from me. And I had a pretty clear awareness um, of what was going on in my body. But as I started getting these emails from women and girls, I realized like my experience was not the norm. And that even today, you know, we think we're so much more evolved now and we're having conversations. But you know, I was getting emails from girls asking really basic questions about how their bodies worked and, you know, to a perfect stranger, basically, they Mm -hmm. were just emailing me. Um, And it became very obvious to me that uh, the mission of the business was not to sell products, but it was to make content to help people have these conversations and, you know, talk about things like puberty, menopause, childbirth, sexuality, all of those topics that we traditionally don't talk about, but that we need to learn about. You know, there's no real owner's manual for our bodies anymore. There was, of course, our bodies ourselves, which was a Bible for me, but it's not the way people are consuming information right now. That's right. And we don't really have um, a culture, you know, we don't live in a tribal culture. Mm -hmm. We don't live in in a culture where this kind of information or there are, you know, traditions about passing on um, or celebrating even these, um, these moments in life, right? These transitions in life. Yeah, absolutely. And even beyond the transitions, like I, there are a few things that in the book I was very, you know, I very much wanted to talk about. Um, One was pubic hair and we can go into topic about pubic hair, in a minute, but the other was on vaginal discharge, which mm-hmm. is something we never talk about. And myself, having grown up in this like open environment, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't understand what the purpose was. And quite honestly, my whole life, I was mortified by it and embarrassed by it. You're not the only and one. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't until I had my first child when I was 35. And so, you know, as a mid-30s woman attempting to get pregnant for the first time, I bought this book that had been recommended to me called um, Taking Charge of Your Fertility, and it explains ovulation and your whole body cycle, and you understand that cervical fluid, which is vaginal discharge, has this incredibly important role to play in fertility, Mm -hmm. both, both in knowing when you're fertile, but also as a conduit for the sperm to get to the egg. And it was like, all of a sudden, I couldn't believe oh, this thing has its purpose and I've been living my life ashamed of this and now I'm tracking it, you know? And it was just, and I spoke to other friends who had read the book and I asked like, was this like this big eye-opening moment for you too? And universally, everyone who had read the book described this feeling of relief that they finally understood what it was, what discharge was, you know? And because we are all like uncomfortable about these things, but there's no reason to be. That's right. And so, I just wanted to, yeah. 
Yes, so change that. Right. So why are we uncomfortable about these things? What is the what is the source of the shame that we have about our about our bodies and about especially about um, let's call it hidden functions, right? The ones that we don't you know, necessarily see or show. Yeah, I mean, I obviously I'm not an anthropologist, and I and I've been waiting in this space for quite some time. So I I have my theories, and generally speaking, my theory is that we do all um, subscribe to the notion that sugar and spice and everything nice is what girls are supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. And that carries through to womanhood. And, um, you know, blood discharge, that doesn't really, that's not sugar and spice. And if we're, you know, if you think about how we look at girls and women in society, you know, while yes, we are all human beings, um, there isn't a level of objectification uh, and of a pressure to be what other people want. Um, and I'm sure this happens for men and boys as well, yes, but um, well, they have their own their that, own ways in which they have to they have, um, yes fit in conform. Yes. Absolutely, but I think that the way that women are supposed to be portrayed, you know, supposed to with air quotes, is really tidy and clean and like perfect and sexual, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. that's not that is not you know, doesn't, that doesn't jive with, you know, blood and discharge just doesn't. It's why, you know, I'm sure every woman can relate to like being uncomfortable, uh, pooping at a partner's house the first time, right? right. Like yes. it's because we're also, we're also uptight about it because we don't think that's the image we're supposed to present of one of this like fully functioning human body. Right, we're not supposed to have smells, and we're not supposed to have, you know, things that come out, and and um, yes, especially or not, you know, especially not mm-hmm. by surprise too, right? I mean, it's there's yeah. there is there is a certain you know uncontrollable, unpredictable nature of being a woman, you know, even though. Um, we follow cycles and, and sometimes those cycles are regular, but sometimes those cycles are not regular, right? And so the nature of the feminine is that uh, it's not controllable, right? And mm-hmm. so, Absolutely. Uh, and that is very uh, disconcerting for many people. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, we're, we're a nation of control freaks, perhaps, you know, I, I, I can't explain it any other way, but I can say that um, when you start talking about this stuff, it feels incredibly liberating. And I have, you know, there's so many times over the last few years when I've met people and they ask me what I do and I tell them and at first they're uncomfortable, but like within 10 minutes, I hear every story of their gynecological history because <laughs> women are dying to, they, they want yes. permission to talk about this yes. stuff. Yes, yes, they um, do. We want, you know, not women as a, I, I am one, so I understand it, but it's this like desire for free speech when it comes to this, you know, we've been like hiding it our whole lives. Yes. You know, for um, several years, I was a health educator with Planned Parenthood and I used to go into uh, high school classrooms, health, health, uh, like ninth and 10th grade classrooms and Mm -hmm. talk about um, sexually transmitted diseases and the choices that we make and birth control and, um, 
It was incredible, you know, the, the, um, the difficulty that students had with even listening, right? You know, some of them would just kind of bury, there, there was always like somebody in the classroom who knew everything and was willing to talk and other ones who would just um, hide their heads because mm-hmm. um, these, are, these are our common experiences, but um, I think people uh, treat them as if there's, well, they become isolated in, in, um, in their feelings about their own body and, and um, don't feel that it's a common experience, whatever that experience is. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the things, you know, the book um, is designed for uh, girls who are going through puberty, you know, so anywhere from 9 to 13 mm-hmm. and ideally the grown-ups in their lives as well. But um, one of the things we took extraordinary care to do was um, explain how not alone you are and how Mm -hmm. universal this is Mm -hmm. and even down to those feelings of isolation because you know adolescence is often a very difficult social time for kids and you know I my theory is that it has a lot to do with where the brain is in its development and where what the hormones are doing but um, it is an isolating time because you are going through this and you feel like your body is betraying you. The whole world can observe your transition and often the grown-ups in your life are constantly commenting on this transition um, and you feel like you're this like freak all by yourself. And, you know, we, we took, um, you know, we went out of our way to make sure to constantly um, pull it back and make sure that the girls reading this book know that there's a lot that's universal about the experience. And while sure they're individuals and they have to make their own personal choices, um, there have been many people before them going through these same things and making their choices as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're bringing awareness, you're bringing awareness to um, girls about their bodies and you're bringing awareness about, um, you know, how we function and how, you know, the, the cycles of life. And so, and you're trying to change the conversation by making it more comfortable and transparent to speak about it. And so how do you feel that this awareness that you're bringing and this um, freedom of, of speaking about it is changing the larger conversation about how women are perceived and how we perceive ourselves? Well, um, that's such a great question. I think, um, Sharon, the way I look at it is, um, you know, look, for people who haven't read this book, obviously, so the book is a body book, you know, it's like a third part body book, just explaining the hows and whys. And it's about a third of memoir. And I would say the last third is social and historical context to how women are treated when their body changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the goal here, you know, I looked at the genre and I, what I felt wasn't being done was um, <clears throat> providing more than just information, but providing a sense, teaching girls how to have agency over their bodies and their choices. Yes. Um, and that that agency, I think, um, is what's going to change culture, right? So, you know, we we explain things like trends in pubic hair, trends in eyebrows, tre- like all sorts of things, trends in breast sizes, or like what's fashionable, and we put it in historical context so that girls can understand that everything 
in their bodies and how the world is perceiving their body and how they feel they have to have their body look is all just trend and it's all something that is ultimately their own choice. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not how I grew up learning about it. Like again, open open environment, I understood how everything worked, but I never really looked at um, how I was, you know, quote, supposed to be and thought about it as this is my choice to subscribe to this or to not subscribe to this. And I think that when you teach young people, girls and boys, that the way they carry themselves and the way they choose to look and feel and, you know, what they do with their body is ultimately a personal choice. It's not something that has to be forced upon them. Um, The more they develop a sense of agency so that when they see things later on in their life that aren't right or that they don't feel comfortable with, they remember, you know what, this is a choice. I get to decide who I want to be and how I want to be. And I think that that is one of the profound shifts that we're really actually witnessing right now with the Me Too movement is this sense of women saying, you know what, screw this. I get to decide. I don't have to be quiet anymore. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you read the Selma Hayek uh, op-ed in the New York Times, I think it was yesterday or the day before, but it, um, you know, it, basically is her story of how Harvey Weinstein took away her agency and ha- and her telling the story now is like her getting it back. And it's such a um, poignant demonstration of how like remembering what's your choice and, and just knowing that speaking is a choice also. And that, you know, as scary as it is, um, you're allowed to do it. Um, I thought it was a really sort of powerful example Yes. And, you know, I mean, with you're calling the Me Too movement or, you know, um, this shadow of sexual harassment and really the overt uh, play of power, you know, using sex as power Mm -hmm. in the workplace um, is, uh, I mean, it's incredible that that women are feeling able to speak up and that people are listening. It's not that women haven't spoken up before. It's that suddenly, um, suddenly we're listening. And then, you know, all of this is coming, coming up. And so, um, you know, there is this feeling, I was in the film business for many, many years, and there was just this assumption that, you know, the price that you will pay for getting a job or, you know, getting the next job or, you know, is that you may have to offer your body, you know, that you may Mm -hmm. have to, there may be, you know, some sort of sexual offering that has to take place and, and, and you get to choose whether you do that or you don't do that. Or sometimes you're confused. Sometimes it's very confusing because it seems like one thing's happening when actually, um, you know, you're trying to get a job and, um, your boss is trying to get you. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so I'm so curious, you know, um, I'm so curious how, uh, younger generations and how, you know, bringing, bringing awareness. And like you say, this agency really can help women understand that, no, I don't have to make that choice. And, and certainly the more you understand your body and the more you understand your own impulses and the more you can say, um, yes, you can also say no. 
Yes. And, you know, look, obviously there are women who've been put in situations that feel impossible. So I'm not Pollyannish enough to convince myself that having read this book as a child, women are going to suddenly avoid these situations because I do think that they are unavoidable to some extent. Um, but I think knowing that it's not your fault uh, is something we can help with and and will help you know, them overcome this stuff. Right. So, um, and you know, it's in every industry and, you know, I think you, you said it a few minutes ago, like it's really about power. It's not about sex. Right. So, um, you know, and in part it's because women in our culture have never been seen as equal from a power standpoint and in part because we haven't been equal, right? Like there hasn't been an assumption that we needed to be seen as equal. Um, you know, like the, the patriarchy is a real thing. So, um, you know, I hope that, you know, the generations coming up are going to be in a different place. And, you know, I remember when I was nine, my favorite nightgown said, anything boys can do, girls can do better. And I loved that nightgown and I, it like made me happy and proud wearing it. And, you know, then I, went to college and graduated college and started working. And I realized like, you know, the deck is kind of stacked against me and having that knowledge wasn't necessary. Like believing that I could do things just as well, wasn't necessarily going to get me further. Um, but you know, you need to have this like reserve of confidence and agency to sort of plow through these issues anyway. And, you know, with HelloFlow as a tech startup, like that's a, um, raising money as a woman for a startup is, you know, the deck is stacked against you in this like totally other way. And it was like, I had such challenges fundraising for my business. And eventually I was like, you know what, screw this. I'm not going to fundraise because I'm sitting here talking to these men with all this money who have never gotten a period. Don't think it's a big deal. <laughs> and they're not going to, yeah. they're not going to give me money. They're just going to waste my time. And they're going to like, think I'm, you know, I don't look the part. I'm not 18 year old guy wearing a hoodie. I'm a 40 something year old mother. Um, like they just, I don't look like what they expect and they're not going to give me the money. So I need to find another way to keep my business going. Cause I know people want this. And so I just, you know, I kept trying new things and eventually I found advertising partners and I realized, well, wow, there are all these people who know that they have to market to women and are selling these products to women and they want to share this messaging and they'll give me money so that I can keep making content. You know, it was like, but I needed to go through that and I needed to understand that these people were never going to take me seriously. So rather than give up, I was going to just change the business. Well, that's brilliant. And, you know, um, talking as I do with all sorts of change makers and change innovators and um, really looking deeply into, you know, what makes change and where does it happen, you know, and even the name of this podcast, which is Passing for Normal, which 
I see as, you know, uh, infiltrating the mainstream with new and perhaps subversive ideas. You know, oftentimes the biggest change, the most significant changes do not come up the middle. They do not come up the middle. The mainstream doesn't change easily, but it comes from the side. You know, it's an innovation. It's like, okay, it wasn't going to work. You weren't going to crack that nut. Um, uh, that's so uh, entrenched, right? And so you came, you did, you know, you did a really brilliant workaround and look how many people, you know, you came directly as mm-hmm. much as you could directly to your audience and look how they've responded. And so you're yeah. making change in that way. You're not only changing with the message, but you're changing how you are bringing that message about. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, listen, I talk about it now with hindsight because I'm sort of like in a different stage. Um, I'm no longer running HelloFlow, the business, and now I'm just focused on the book and I have another job so I can talk about it with a lot less emotion. But um, it was like a very brutal, painful process to be rejected over and over by the mainstream. Like it's not for the faint of heart. And had I not seen that there was traction and interest in what I was doing, I, you know, I could have given up a million times. Um, and I thought about it so many times, but, um, yeah, the going the mainstream route down the middle was just not working. Like they, they just didn't understand what it was I was trying to do. And, you know, to say to a group of like, 40 and 50 year old male investors. Yeah. It's like our bodies ourselves for the digital age. They're like, what's our bodies ourselves? And why, why should I care? Like they don't know it's sold millions and millions of copies and changed millions of women's lives, you know? So like they didn't have the experience to know. And quite honestly, they thought it was like a cute little, I was like a mompreneur, you know, like this is just like a little side thing that wasn't significant. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that term before mompreneur. Um, yeah, it's, yeah it's, I like that. You know, um, uh, yeah, it can be used in positive and also right. negative, Absolutely. like a little pat on your head. Absolutely. Go back to raising your kids. <laughs> That's right. And so, you know, the culture that you are uh, changing is not just, and the conversation that you're changing is not just the conversation about how we um, feel about our bodies or, or, you know, know about our bodies, but it's really about how do we bring awareness and what are the vehicles through which we bring awareness and how do we, and how do we fund them and how do we get them out there Mm -hmm. and how do we do business as women? Absolutely. And, you know, listen, I do think that knowing about our bodies is helpful in all of those other things in as much as like we have these complicated bodies and, we should understand how they work. And I just, I believe more than anything, knowledge is power. And if you know what's happening with your body, you can advocate for your health. And you, and when you start advocating for your health, you can advocate in other aspects of your life as well. Um, and, you know, I think that that's, they're all connected. It's all about knowing how to be a good advocate for yourself. Yes. And, you know, one of the principles for change that I talk about in my book, Changeability, is called Align with Nature. And it's really about looking for the proper timing for making change and for literally looking at how nature does it and how can you utilize the energies of nature to support the change cycle Mm -hmm. that you're in. And so, you know, looking at our own bodies and, um, both the uh, the monthly cycle that women go through, and you know, sometimes like 
to really understand the cycle of your own body and the changes that it puts you through and the, the mm -hmm. mood changes and the, the availability changes um, really can be something that you can guide your day by, guide your life by, as well as the different phases of life, you know, that you're in. I'm, you know, whether that's a, as a young woman, as a, uh, you know, there's a, there are different times in our lives when we want to um, create things, when we want to harvest, you know, the aspects of our life. I'm at a time in my life where I'm in my early 60s, where I'm really thinking about, you know, uh, gathering what I've already done and seeing, you know, how can I, how can I put that together and make it the most potent third act possible, right? And so, yeah. You know, but using my biology as my guide. Absolutely. Because there are Absolutely. times we don't have the resource or the energy, or we do have the resource and the energy to really push certain things forward or, or participate in certain activities. And, you know, like when you're in a, you know, if you are a mother, you know, uh, that time of your life when you have young children, that's where your energy goes, right? I mean, regardless of what else you're doing, um, uh, where you, you know, put your, your work, uh, energy into your work, but it occupies you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's for sure where your body is impacts where your head is. Um, so yeah, I couldn't agree more. Wonderful. Well, um, it's almost time to wrap up here and, uh, I've, so enjoyed our conversation, but I want to be sure that you let our listeners know how best to find you and how they can find out more about HelloFlow and, and what you're doing. Yes. Yeah, so um, HelloFlow, the website still exists. I don't run it anymore, but it's at HelloFlow.com. It's F-L-O. Um, and it's a women's health website with tons of information. Um, but you can also find me at NamaBloom.com, N-A-A-M-A Bloom, B-L-O-O-M.com. And of course, the book, HelloFlow, The Guide, period, is available um, at Amazon and all of your local booksellers. Wonderful. Well, Nama, thank you so much. I, um, I so appreciate uh, this book and the website and the work that you're doing um, in uh, helping all of us women to um, really understand ourselves better and to be empowered. So I thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Sharon. Really appreciate the opportunity. Okay. Bye now. Bye. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about change. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Whether creating something new or responding to a changing world, navigating change is the new stability.